We're in Japan. This is Ryan Dawson, and I hope you enjoyed this 9-11 podcast, The Breakdown. It's a serious issue that's been kookified a lot in the last 20 years, and it's time for the truth to finally be revealed. I think this podcast is a good breakdown, but to really get it to the global stage, I think that Ryan Dawson should go on the Joe Rogan podcast and change the world because there's a lot of different theories, but he knows the truth. Hope you enjoy. Ryan Dawson. Nico. In the flesh. It's good to finally meet you. It is. In real life, thank you for allowing this, uh, this podcast to happen. Uh, there's obviously a lot I want to talk to you about, a lot I want to, that we've been learning about you showing us around Osaka and Japan. Mm-hmm. It's been great so far. I like and this our, very Japanese setup. Yeah, it's great. It's a Tommy Matt room. Uh, but there's more specific reasons that uh, I want to record this podcast. I'm sure we, we could talk about Japan a little bit. There's reasons why. Well, first off, why do you live in Japan? Well, a lot of reasons, but basically I did not want my children going to school in the United States. And when George Bush got reelected, I said, fuck it, I'm out. That's why I left the U.S. Why I specifically chose Japan was a long list of reasons, though. It's just superior in every way. What year did you move? 2005. And it was specifically because of the Iraq War? The Iraq War was in 2003, and when that asshole got reelected, and the man he ran against, John Kerry, was also a warmongering lunatic, I just thought this is unfixable. Because at the time, in 2003, there was no YouTube or Twitter or any of that. It was just whatever the crap was on TV, which was all lies. That's all you got. And there was the internet was kind of in its infancy stage. It's MySpace, but it was more like just attention whores. Hey, look at me. My picture's kind of like Instagram now. Um, and you couldn't do like videos or anything back then. So I didn't see any counter. And I was like, well, I'm going to vote with my feet. I did not want my tax money going to murder Iraqi children. And I just couldn't believe it. They lied about WMDs and everybody by 2005 should have known that. That all the things they said were false. And it wasn't mistakes. It was intentional deceptions. And just no one was punished. No one was held accountable. And I thought, I can't do this. Japan's constitution forbids them from war. Um, as you've seen, you've seen how clean and peaceful and kind everybody is. It's, it's a different world. It's pretty interesting because something you said uh, was pretty funny today. Was that I was talking about how I'm banned on YouTube. You're banned on crypto exchanges. You've been banned on AOL, yeah. MySpace. You've been canceled before that was even a word. I was talking about how I was banned on YouTube and you're like, noob. <laughs> yeah. Why did well, you... you got, I mean, you got hit, hit off YouTube and Twitch and Twitter. I'm not making fun of it. It's just like... Well, compared to your level of, of cancellation, yeah. uh, but I want this podcast, I want, really want this uh, to be where the my generation can figure out what happened on 9-11 because yeah. there's a lot of conspiracy talk and one reason I respect your work a lot is that there's no kookiness about it. You have all the names to back it up and you can actually tell us exactly what happened uh, on 9-11. Yeah, and you can see the cancellation is what they do when you're accurate. If you, because there's a lot of stuff about 9/11 on YouTube, and and it's all ridiculous. That's why they leave it up there because it's not a threat to the system. So I don't want to waste a bunch of time on like all the things that didn't happen on 9/11. The people that are like denying airplanes, thermite grenades, mini nukes, this bunch of nonsense. Millions and millions of views on YouTube, 
there's a trashy one called Loose Change that's even on Netflix. Everyone's now, seen that, yeah. yeah, the system is not going to allow an accurate portrayal of September 11th or the Jeffrey Epstein affair or even like the Ukraine Maidan coup, things like that. They won't allow it. But if you want to get up and say something preposterous, not only do they not cancel it, they amplify it. We call it the kookification. And what they do is they create a tar baby on a particular topic so that other people who know what I know stay quiet because they don't want to be associated with weirdos, you know, basically almost like crack addict level stupidity. You've seen that even with uh, Corona, with COVID-19, the people that deny viruses exist and just a bunch of nonsense. And what happens there? Like, okay, if you believe in the Terran theory and you don't think viruses are real, now Fauci and co are off the hook for doing gain-of-function research on a virus because you don't think there are viruses. It's similar to 9-11. If you don't believe there's hijackers or airplanes, then you can't really follow that paper trail back to the state assistance that they were receiving because you don't even think it was a plane. And you think, how could you not believe in airplanes of September 11th, especially the ones that hit New York? But they're, they put that out there, holograms, all kinds of crazy stuff. And so I almost cringe when someone's like, oh, you're 9-11 truther? And I'm like, well, I'm not one of those. I have a very different version of events than probably what you've heard and different from what the government told you, but I disagree with 99% of like what they call 9-11 truth. I even started my own group called 9-11 truth for grownups, which got banned within hours off Facebook. <laughs> and we just, there's a guy, um, Adam Fitzgerald, another guy named uh, Nelson, he goes by thermal detonator, that there's a kind of a group of us that have the adult version of 9-11 but you just can't make a breakthrough because you're competing with all these idiot films that get amplified by charlatans or as we know from the twitter files feds and every time i get on a big show or something they cancel something and so it got to the point where people were afraid to they're like in private like, i totally agree with you i love your work all that can i come to your show no, I can't, man. <laughs> I don't want to lose my channel. But now is different because we have Rumble and we have Odyssey, Substack, and Alternatives. And I always told people, you can fantasize about the government in Section 230 and da 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 da. The government is not going to help you. The free market, whether you like that solution or not, realistically, is the only one that's actually going to work and actually happen. And so by having alternatives to YouTube, and iTunes and so on. Now we have a way of getting the message out. So that's why I'm excited to talk about it today and reaching different generations because a lot of people your age aren't have no idea who I am or I was a big deal twenty years ago. Now it's like oh nine eleven that's you know, that was two thousand one, that's ancient history. But for me I remember in fifth grade hearing about the Kennedy assassination and our teacher telling us, all of us remember where we were when Kennedy died. And I feel like all of everyone my generation or older all remember where they were when they heard about September 11th. And even if you don't remember, I, I don't really remember 9-11. Most of the people in my generation don't. But our entire childhoods were kind of shaped around that event. You grew up in the War of Terror. Grew up around yeah. WMDs, the Iraq War, all that paranoia the NSA surveillance, like a lot of mm -hmm. what we grew up with, especially George Bush, uh, was 
because of this event. It's so, kind of sad because you don't have something to contrast it with. You don't know how America used to be. No. Which sucks. No, I don't remember the glory days of the Bill Clinton years. But can, can you describe, <laughs> like, basically what happened? I mean, a lot of us, a lot of people watching probably saw something like WTC7 and how it looks like a controlled demolition. There's, yeah. there's a lot of things that point to 9-11 being the uh, U.S. government having some involvement. But mm-hmm. what, what actually happened? Yeah, so what people do is they almost exclusively focus on the physics of 9-11, on all oh, that fell free fall speed in its own footprint, no bill never fell from fire, blah, blah, blah. They have this mantra. It's not even their own words. And because that's an immediate thing, that should be your first, maybe your first inclination of like, huh, that kind of went straight down and looked a little too fast. Shouldn't it have crumbled some more or something? But it's not a good argument. It's a good like reason to start investigating, but you can't just say based on eyeballing it, oh, I think that should have fallen slower or whatever. Plus, people are judging how fast the exterior fell and not knowing when or not the behind the walls had already fallen apart or burned, whatever. Um, I don't spend that much time on the physics of 9-11 uh, because you don't really need to, and it's been done to death. But certainly, we have uh, evidence dead to rights that the fire prevention systems in the building have been sabotaged prior to the plane attacks. We also have some evidence of there being uh, truck bombs in the basement levels. There were parking garages underneath the ground, and which is similar to an attack in 1993. They had a Ryder truck blow up in the World Trade Center. And so that was announced on the day. I remember Pat Dawson, no relation, and Rick Sanchez and some others talking about police finding a suspicious device in a van and they pulled over to the Church of Dades a few blocks away. And then it just got memory hold. And then later that night, around 1040, there was a van pulled near the George Washington Bridge packed with explosives and Dan Rathers and others reported on that. CBS reported on that. And it was just by September 12th, never seen again. Right. And you couldn't just, again, you couldn't just go put this on YouTube. It didn't exist. You couldn't just go clip this and stick it on Twitter. None of that was around. But I remember seeing it. And I had VHS tapes taping different TVs in my house and caught it and didn't know how to put it on a computer. But like, I'm going to save this. This is going to be important. Um, Because none of the information about truck bombs got out. And then all the kookery came out. Then we learned from the the Virgin Daily Record and the Jewish Daily Forward. It's a Virgin Records is a paper out of New Jersey. Had this police report about these men celebrating the attacks and the dancing Israelis. They they're called now the dancing Israelis, although it was actually two groups. Three of them were caught dancing at Doric Towers, which is a high rise that looked over where the trade centers used to in be. In New Jersey, it's in New Jersey, but you got a perfect line of sight to uh, ground zero now because it's uh, above, actually went there. I'm like, wouldn't you be looking through the rest of New Jersey? Like, no, you're way elevated above the rest of it. They got there from a group, uh, Urban Moving Systems. There were at least six moving companies that seemed to be following 9-11 suspects around, and they're all run by Israelis. And then you had these three men uh, who were celebrating the attacks who then went and picked up two more guys 
uh, one of whom was the brother of the driver. So I'll just give you the name. So Sivan Kersberg's a driver, his brother Paul, and you had Omar Mamari and Yaren Schmel. And these guys are high-fiving, flicking lighters, hugging. Very odd thing to do when you just saw a plane run into a building. There's footage of them doing this? Well, it's all the FBI and grabbed everything. So I'll, I'll get into that in a second. So we did FOIA requests and things. And there's mention there's 72 pictures they had off one of their cameras. There's also a handheld video camera that no one ever got, but was witnessed. Um, the woman that called the police, her name is Maria Septimrelli, which I think is September in Italian. It's irony, but she saw everything, but waited till her husband came home before they called the cops around like three. So they put out a bolo, be on the lookout. And these guys got pulled over in a moving system van. And the first words out of Sivan Kersberg's mouth was, we're not your problem. Your problem or our problem. The Palestinians are your problem. Just out of the blue says this, right? What did it have to do with 9-11? It's like, you could have been pulled over for speeding. You don't even know why you're being pulled over. It's the first thing you're saying to the cop is, no, we're, we're on your side. The Palestinians are the problem. <laughs> like, what? Because <laughs> there is early rumors after 9-11, they were trying to associate um, Al-Qaeda, Hamas, and Hezbollah all together, even though they have nothing to do with each other. Uh, and I remember Charlie Rose did an episode on that. Judith Miller, who was like a notorious serial liar, she blames everything on Iraq. She blamed the Oklahoma City bombing on Iraq. She blamed the World Trade Center of 93 on Iraq. She blamed 9-11 on Iraq. She was a principal neoconservative um, mouthpiece in the New York Times for the Israeli state, basically. She was also involved in the Valerie Plame affair. Valerie Plame was a CIA agent who had a front company called Brewster Jennings and Associates that acted as the you know explanation of employment for a bunch of different covert agents whose job it was to track nuclear weapons proliferation. So when they outed her, it outed Brewster Jennings. So that outed all, like 20 different agents and just ruined the entire non-proliferation wing. Like everybody was discovered. And this woman was part of it, as was uh, Louis Leibowitz, who was a, they call him Louis Scooter Libby. He was a lawyer for Mark Rich, who was a, was a Mossad agent and pedophile and a billionaire from Glencore and basically raped Africa and all. I think he's a, he's a mess. But uh, Leibowitz also was, uh, worked for Dick Cheney, who was the vice president at the time. And they're they're just writing filth. He's one of these neocons, along with the, they had their own media outlet called the Weekly Standard. So it was kind of like this online uh, like news magazine type thing. People back then used to go to blogs and read like like oh you can read the news online now. You can read CNN.com or whatever. And it was absolute trash. And it was just a um, a bunch of neoconservatives <laughs> that. Uh, wrote policy papers and BS and war propaganda for this group called the Project for a New American Century, which is a think tank of just a bunch of Zionists, really. And But it wasn't just like some guys with media. These guys worked in, in the vice president's office, advisory boards all you know throughout D.C., and the DOD itself, the Department of Defense. So... At that time, Donald Rumsfeld was the head of the DOD from 2001 to 2003. 
leads into the Iraq war. But his deputy secretary, which is like the vice president of the Defense Department, was Paul Wolfowitz. And then Richard Pearl was the head of the, I could be hitting this for all these people, <laughs> Paul Wolfowitz, Richard Pearl, Douglas Fyatt, right? Um, Leibowitz, so. Was, yeah, Leibowitz as well. Like, basically, <laughs> all of them. Um, what, what, why did Israel have to benefit from it? Basically, you're saying that Israel was behind 9-11. So what I think happened there was Al-Qaeda is real. And they, you can understand, like, if you, this is a hot take, but, like, the same thing you do with World War One, World War Two, whatever. Like, let's put ourselves in the shoes of the enemy. Why do you think they say they did it, right? If you are, and you can listen to their own words from Muhammad Atta, the lead hijacker that rammed Flight 11 in the North Tower. I'm not agreeing with them, but I'm just going to explain. Like, oh, I'm trying to imagine between the two Iraq wars, watching half a million children starve to death from sanctions. Arab, Muslim, your people, and they're dying. And you know it's Zog, right? And you see that the bombings in Beirut and the butchering and the annexation of land in Palestine and bulldozing down their houses. And this is all the things that American foreign policy has led to against its own interests. This isn't for, it's not for the national interests. It's for the interests of a parasitic lobby, APAC, for the Israelis. And you can see, like, if you look at the media ownership and banks, there's some very prominent movers and shakers. I call them movers on purpose. Moving shakers is the moving van and the dancing Israelis as well. So you think of moving and shakers in two ways. But the movers and shakers are very powerful. And as we know now, like Clinton was an Epstein client, his pick for the DCI, which is the director of the Central Intelligence for the CIA, was James Woolsey. James Woolsey's one of the people that comes back with this bullshit canard connecting Iraq to 9-11. So immediately what the Israelis wanted to do is that they got wind of a real Al-Qaeda plot that had been in the mix for a long time because they hit the World Trade Center in 1993 and that whole thing was they were going to blame the Muslim Brotherhood because it's centralized in Egypt, right? Ramzi Youssef's, who was the main culprit there for the 93 bombings, his uncle is Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, KSM, who's the real mastermind of 9-11, not Osama bin Laden, although he's, he's prominent like from bombing embassies and more uh, famous or whatever, but KSM and Ramzi Youssef made the plans, and, they, and this is what should bother everybody is the Bojinka plot, Millennial plot, they had this scheme because Ramzi Youssef, after 93, he didn't get arrested right away. He got away with it. He was at large. He actually bombed a plane going to Japan. And he had this plot in the Philippines where they were going to hijack uh, several airplanes, like 16, and ram them into targets in the United States. And obviously, he'd already hit the World Trade Center the first time. So that's one of these targets. They didn't end up doing that. But it's interesting to me that prior to the 93 attack, the truck bomb was, I believe it was like February. So it was like the end of 92. Anthrax was stolen from Fort Detrick, which would happen again in September 11th. And the guy that was 
we have on film going into the lab after he'd been fired and doing illegal gain of function research on anthrax. There's like 23 missing samples and spores. His name was Philip Zachariah. He had a, a cohort named uh, Miriam Ripley who would let him in. Like she was still working there and let him in. And, and they were stealing anthrax and doing weaponization of it. And no one knows where that ended up. So there's missing anthrax spores. You would think later on the follow-up of September 11th when there's a biological weapons attack allegedly by Al-Qaeda with anthrax from somewhere that one of the first suspects would be the guy that stole anthrax the last time. But they never bothered. Like he, you have missing anthrax. You got a man that used to work there, a scientist who had been fired, who's on film illegally entering the lab at the time when the spores disappear. And he's never arrested. How did that happen? Why did Clinton pick Woolsey? Also, they hated each other. Probably blackmail, as we're finding out how deep that went. Like, Monica Lewinsky was just the one he got caught with. With a whole bunch of girls that never came to the surface. So we know he was visiting with Jeffrey Epstein. We all know what Epstein was doing. But the media outfits they had, you know, PNAC was run or set up the two co-founders, Robert Kagan and William Crystal. And Crystal ends up working for Fox, so does Judith Miller. They, like, they weren't punished. They got rewarded. Kagan's wife is Victoria Newland, our now number two at the State Department, who is, according to Cy Hirsch, who was, well, that's that too, a good one. <laughs> He's one of the good ones. Really. According to Cy Hirsch, was principal architect of the Nord Stream pipe bombing. She also was part of the Maidan coup in Ukraine. So again, like rolling over into Ukraine, Zelensky, Groisman, like it's just all the way, you're starting to notice something. And you would think, okay, if all these people were Chinese, that maybe the state of China must be involved in putting people in prominent positions. But when all these people are Zionists, they never look at Israel. Like, oh, no, that's it's it's just a big coincidence, that. whatever. Like, it's not anti-Semitic. This isn't, no one's saying this is a product of Jewish or Jewish teleology or race or something. We're saying, look, you know, if they're all North Korean, you'd think that North Korea would be involved. And if you have a bunch of Jewish Zionists that are writing policy papers for heads of state in Israel, like Pearl did for Netanyahu, maybe they're agents of Israel, uh, der. You know, same thing with Maxwell and Epstein. Maxwell's father would work for Israeli intelligence. They weren't just some weird, eccentric billionaires that were into kitty fiddling. This was an organization. It's organized crime supported by a state and when it came to al-qaeda the local they were protected from local law enforcement uh, there's there was a report pulled from fox actually carl cameron that went on online fox but the online fox wasn't big back then it was still a tv thing primarily where they did this four-part series they say yeah amdocs and converse these infoseek these um israeli companies that were basically back doors to telecommunication and telecommunication processes where they would say every time that they'd be on to these who ended up becoming the hijackers, they'd change their telecommunication process because like somebody had a back door and would want to move them around. We have a FOIA report showing logistical support was given to Alamari, who's seen with Muhammad Atta in Maine on the ATM photo. He was on he was also on, I think he was on flight one seventy five. But they gave him support. One of the moving companies involved with the people who were celebrating 
actually brought hijackers between New York and Florida. And then there's people living next door to them. Now, the guys that got caught celebrating, that was like the C team. These are not crack massage agents or whatever. These are just people that learned about it and, and couldn't keep their mouths shut. They did something really stupid out there, high-fiving and celebrating. And uh, there's also witnesses that they didn't see the men, but they saw their urban moving system van parked there prior to the first plane hitting. We have two sets of witnesses that did that. We also have witnesses that saw Sivan Kersberg uh, visit Dora on September 10th and 7th. So he's scoping it out, right? And they also had maps on their person when they got arrested with highlights of the World Trade Center and Doric Towers. Like, here it is, and we'll watch it from here. So stupid. Uh, so they, you know, this was a C team. But in a way, it didn't matter. Because they got caught, they got pulled out of it, and all that happened is everything got classified for years. We couldn't get that information until like 2011. Um, but we did have the police reports of them getting arrested, and we had the JIS report and some other information. But the, everything they do with Israel was just memory hold. Um, so something you have to understand is like, when you say CIA or Mossad or whatever, going. there isn't really a, a clear cut between some of these things. They have um, jointly conducted covert operations. So, for example, Israel and the U.S. work together in Iran-Contra, selling contraband to, in Iran, as well as, we know, uh, training pilots and moving narcotics out of Nicaragua. And they killed like 30,000 people in Nicaragua supporting Somoza. And the whole time Reagan and the, the, the public um, line was, we're not helping the Contras. Contras are bad. It sounds like we're not helping ISIS. They're, that's the bad guys. And yet, we were helping the Contras the whole time. And we were helping ISIS the whole time. And it really popped off when a journalist was assassinated by the Contras on film. Very similar to Nick Berg and his head cut off by ISIS on film. A journalist guy. It was so similar between Iran-Contra and ISIS. Uh, but the U.S. had been working with them before and after 9-11. But you think they weren't working with them during 9-11? Of course they were. What they do is they outsource it to the two bullies on the block. They had a group called the Safari Club. Uh, at first they messed around with the African states and it grew out of control. It's this trifecta nexus between the Saudi royals... Israeli Zionists and the CIA, Saudi Arabia, U.S., and Israel. And because the CIA heavily relies on the Israelis and Saudis for uh, linguistics, Arabic speakers, and things like that, we just don't have enough. And so, and the Israelis are always, for their own interest, keeping tabs on different Arab terrorist groups. But instead of stopping them, they're like, hey, let's divert them, right? Let's, uh, let's make this bigger than it can ever be because that'll be good for us. We'll get the U.S. to go bomb the hell out of our Muslim enemies. But what does Israel have to gain? Because the narrative for the longest time and when I was growing up was that Muslims were bad people. We would make fun of Muslims. We would call them terrorists. Brown people couldn't go into the airports without getting randomly searched. Yeah, it was weird targeted. because... It what wasn't like that when I grew up. It was all the communists are bad and the Soviet Union is the big enemy and Muslim, who cares? Like, it didn't matter. But 
Saddam Hussein was starting. You have to see how like the whole entire all the Arab states after Sykes Pico are divided along just arbitrary map drawings from Europeans, right? So it wasn't along tribal or ethnic or religious or theological or any kind of other sort of unifying principle that people organize societies around. It was just like, let's draw a triangle around this oil here. We'll call it Kuwait. You know, like that's what happened. So it wasn't going to stay that way. Saddam had this Ba'athist movement, which it supported at first because he was an anti-commie. Then it was unuseful after 89 or even before that, after 79, there was a huge revolution in Iran. But now the Persians are a problem all of a sudden because we lost control of them. We had a puppet regime in there before of the Shah. So they have a revolution in Iran, and immediately Iraq is used to fight Iran. They're like, let's wipe them both out. Oded Yanan, Israeli strategist, saying, yeah, every Arab on Arab or Arab on Persian conflict is good for us. They had an eight-year-long war between Iran and Iraq. Brutal, like gas and human waves. It was, nobody came out, but I guess... I think Iran lost more people. You can't really say anybody got a W other than Israel. But Iraq bounced back. Uh, Saddam's Ba'athist was talking about pan-Arabism, uniting Sunni, Shia, and all the different uh, theological groups together uh, in a sense of being Iraqi instead of being this kind of Muslim or that kind of Muslim. And so the game was up. Like, no, 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 we need them all at each other. We, we, we want to encourage sectarian violence not stop it we say we want to stop it we don't want to stop it we want them the more they fight internally they're held down by the oil you can buy this you can manipulate them under the bathist regime if they're not going to break down along sectarian lines they felt like that was a threat to the economic and military hegemony that israel and the u.s enjoyed especially israel in that area of the world the other thing was saddam started supporting palestinian causes and paying the families there were back then there were suicide bombers i said i don't agree with suicide bombing i'm just saying like you should expect it when you squeeze people that much it's predictable right but that kamikaze from japan is they're like if we don't stop them they're gonna burn everything and they did they got nuked right so i i get it i understand it i can see their side but israel felt like saddam was a great threat and but they couldn't they couldn't do it. It would turn all, like Jordan, the rest, they'd all turn on Israel if they attack Iraq. But America, especially after the Soviet Union fell, there was nothing in the way. And so right away, 89, Soviet Union's out. Early 991, two, they go war and occupation of Iraq um, and decimated it, but didn't kill Saddam. George Bush Sr. said, well, you can't kill the strong man. It'll become a quagmire. And what they're really worried about is the Kurdish region popping off and threatening territorial integrity of Turkey. They needed Turkey. And that's correct, because that ends up happening. But Cheney, in a 1994 interview, and I think George Bush Sr. was talking to him, was like, how come they didn't finish the job with Saddam, right? And he elegantly lays out exactly what does happen after they invade Iraq in 2003 and got rid of Saddam's kids and had some monkey trial where they were assassinating his lawyers and they ended up just hanging them, right? You had a huge civil war between Sunni Shia and Kurds in Iraq. They were dying every day. 
the Americans were getting killed every day too. That war costs like $6 trillion in DOD budget over the years with a T, right? And there was no gain at all, except for the Israelis. Mm -hmm. Israel gets 77% of its oil exports from Iraq post-war. More than three-fourths of their oil comes from the Kurdish region of Iraq that they basically annex. Same thing, they have in Ojaba in Syria right now where the Kurds are annexing in Syria. So the Israelis are like, when everyone's like, do you get war for oil? I'm like, who's oil? Look it up on Forbes or, or Jerusalem Post, or 77% of Israel's oil. Boom, right there. And I was like, well, yeah, that oil. Because between the two wars, they had this thing called the Oil for Food Program. They already had a rock by the short hairs. They had the oil. It was not a war for oil. It was not a war for the petrodollar, like, especially the first Gulf War, where they, they told this big lie about babies on incubators in Kuwait being thrown on the floor and all this BS. I mean, it, there was no euro yet, so it, didn't, it couldn't have been for that. This thing is like is a canard so that you don't get to the meat of it. It's like, look, we invaded Iraq for Israel. And this is how you know. This is the 20th anniversary of Iraq, and it goes right back to 9-11. Every single pre-war lie by these neocons about weapons of mass destruction, if you want to get specific, it's not oil companies making this stuff up. It wasn't BP. It was the OSP. Office of Special Plans, run by Doug Fife and Wolfowitz, but it's really the brainchild of Richard Pearl, fabricated evidence to go to Iraq. They said there were mobile weapons labs. There were not. They said they had VX gas and anthrax. They didn't. They said they got yellow cake uranium from Niger and the Congo. They did not. In fact, that lie was so bad because they it was based on forged, crudely forged documents. So they had supposedly, oh, Saddam's trying to get oxidized uranium from Niger. You look at the documents and it's got different dates within the document. Like, is it 99 or 2000 or what? And then they had an obsolete foreign minister sign it. That's like today, if there was a document uh, and it had from supposedly 2023 and it says Ronald Reagan or something, like he's not even alive. Like, it didn't make any sense. And it got flagged by the CIA right away. They're like, oh, these are fake. Like, if you're going to lie, you have to make a better lie, right? But Bush, the lesser, at, included it in his speech in Ohio and, and then in his State of the Union, I think, after that. It was like, yeah, uh, they've reconstituted their nuclear program. They're trying to buy uranium from Africa. It would be yellow cake uranium from Niger, but close enough, George, you know. <laughs> they lied. And, um, but how did they get away with this to this scale? Because there was no alternative media to call them out. So was everybody in the U.S. government involved? No, not everybody in the government, but there's a there's a clique, a cabal inside the Department of Defense. Some people call it the MIC, the Military Industrial Complex, but it wasn't really the industry side so much as the just the military complex. But again, like okay, let's look at who financed the Weekly Standard that's putting all this garbage out. Guess who it was? Lockheed Martin, the largest arms contractor for like the last thirteen years in a row. Right. It's usually Lockheed, Boeing, Northrop Grumman, and then maybe like Raytheon. It's the, the bottom four or five change around, but it's always Lockheed, the biggest welfare queen there is, right? That's it's always for weapons. This is different than like Vanguard and BlackRock. Vanguard and BlackRock are kind of like the East India Tea Company of the modern era. Like they're corporations, financial institutions that are as big as states, right? But 
Lockheed is makes planes and missiles. The HIMAR missiles are using Ukraine. Those are Lockheed, um, or the the launchers are. They're getting the giving money to neocons to lie about Iraq because they they'll benefit from any war. They don't care where if it's Iraq or anywhere as like as long as you can sell toys, right? So they there's a sort of overlap between the MIC and the Zionists because Zionists want to take out Iraq. They want America to do it. And the MIC just wants to profiteer off of some conflict somewhere. They used to mess with Latin America a lot, but they're like, no, we need like a, we want to sell this Patriot missile system like we did in Gulf War One to hit Scuds, and you know we got this new Abrams tank and this and that and Bradley fighting vehicle, which is all garbage, it's a piece of shit transport vehicle. But they need to sell these toys. So it's not like one interest commanded them all. You've got different overlapping financial interests that can agree. Oh, this is good for our business. Oh, this is good for our political reasons. Oh, this is good for our... so they don't challenge each other because it's all it's good for all these those different. So it was a lot of people just looking away. It was like they knew it was crap, but they're like, well, that's what they're saying. Okay, well, you won't make a the, lot of money. So <laughs> yeah. what about the nine eleven commission report? So that okay, yeah, glad you asked that. So the nine eleven commission is kind of a farce because you had like <laughs> okay the. The co-chairman, one of them, was Lee Hamilton, who was also the co-chairman of the Tower Commission that looked into Iran-Contra, which was a complete whitewash. Can you briefly describe the Iran-Contra? So Iran-Contra starts out with when, during the Iran-Iraq War, the Israelis are kind of trying to get the faction that had just been outed in Iran back in, and they slightly favored them over Iraq. So they're selling contraband airplane parts and stuff that had been banned for assets administration and different rules on weapons procurement and sell and stuff. Say, no, you can't give these to Iran. They're like, well, we won't give you an F-16, but here's the F-16 tires, and here's an F-16, this part, that part. And, you know, it's kind of like chop shopping. But it was a way of uh, using contraband to finance a completely different operation. I'll tell you how this connects. In Nicaragua, to, uh, between the Contras and the Santanistas. Nicaragua had a generation called the Somoza family of a dictator that prior to Iran-Contra had been an ally of the Zionist state and the Jewish agency that becomes Israel because it was just Palestine until 48, right? After World War II, you had this huge proliferation of weapons all over the world, and then the war ends. And like, so what happens all these black markets spring up selling small arms where they shouldn't go. The intelligence agencies are supposed to prevent the black markets. Instead, they get into it themselves and they like go after their competitors and not themselves, kind of like mob, right? Like, oh, you can't. But as long as we're selling it to anti-Soviet states, it's okay. And the KGB's like, well, as long as it's, you know, our, our communist states will allow, we'll look the other way and let them get guns, but don't let the American side get it. So, you have this war between the Soviet, this cold war between the Soviet Union and the Americans, where instead of you stopping the arms traffic, they're more like directing it, right? And they said, look, you cannot allow uh, these, like what ends up becoming the Israelis, to have all these weapons and take over Palestine. Like, this is going to be a complete disaster in the Middle East. But uh, Moses family out of Nicaragua. They're like, they didn't have restrictions from the WAA. So like, oh, we'll buy the weapons and then black market them over to what's Palestine becomes Israel, right? So 
is the Israelis, J.A., Ben-Gurion, these guys, people you saw in New Mech, right, uh, had this good relationship with the dictatorships in Latin America, diverting weapons to the Israelis. And same with Cuba and so on. So weapons would be diverted from Latin American conflicts where they would say, hey, we need to fight the communists, so allow us to get this and that. Very small portion of that would go to that and would just end up going to the Middle East. Uh, along with narcotics and other things. So the Israelis uh, wanted to support the Contras against the Santanistas because the Santanistas had overthrown Moza. So they were losing their uh, cash cow third party on way of moving weapons around. And there's a bunch of other things more. He's, I mean, Iran-Contra is complicated, but basically you yeah, had there's two things going on, contraband in Iran and the civil war in Nicaragua. And the U.S. is uh, covertly supporting the team they said they weren't. Uh, and it's all on behalf of the Israelis. It was not in U.S. interest, and it was not about fighting communism or any of that jazz. Is baloney. I mean, they had another one, the Operation Washtub, where the U.S. <laughs> put a cache of weapons off the coast and then went and discovered what they just put there and said, oh, look what the communists did. And like. You know that they knew that that wasn't true because they're the ones that put them there and then went and discovered what they had just planted there themselves. And they knew there was no communist influence. So it was just a pretext because, yeah, communism sucks. Don't get me wrong. Screw that. But like half the time when they're yelling communists, there were no communists. It was just a way of getting U.S. industries to get a, a corporate takeover of this or that industry in Latin America. So that was going on at the same time. But they use that, like United Fruit, which ends up being United um, Front Company for CIA, was all in it. The same planes that you can irradiate and move fruit around on, cargo planes, you can also load up with guns or cocaine or whatever, right? So these, they would have a, oh, I'm just moving around bananas or whatever in these banana republics. And yeah, there might be some bananas on the top, underneath, could be whatever they want. Mm. And, uh, that's how. That's one of the methods where they move around illegal weapons. It seems like it, it's very difficult to pull this off without ringing off some bells within the government. Like, what about that picture of, of George Bush and so, I forget who? I think it was Al Gore's whispering into his ear at the in the kindergarten classroom. Oh no, that was uh, that's uh, a psyop. That was so. That was on nine eleven. He's reading my pet goat. I think it was in Florida. And he was reading a book to some kids for some stunt. And uh, they had to tell them, like, there's been a terrorist attack. But they might have said, like, it's on. You know, <laughs> like, who knows? <laughs> He's like, has the second one hit yet? Who knows what they did? But I don't know that George Bush had a clue what was going on. He may have been kept in the dark. Because he just wanted to he go to war with Rock. Because that's why they picked him to be there in the first place. Okay. He needed a pretext. The... The people in the U.S. in the MIC would have been people like Richard Blee and George Tenet and Clark and these guys, the real, like, brains that knew and had the relationship with Al-Qaeda. A lot of the counterintelligence ends up in bed with the people they're supposed to stop, right? Um, which happens a lot with people who are supposed to crush the mob or crush the cartels. It's like... Okay, like Pablo Escobar, you know his name, you know his face, you know where he lives, put a bullet in his head, right? No, nah. like, you know, all these famous mobsters, right? Like, if you know them, where they are, and you know the name, why are they not in jail? Because they're working with the government. 
is a, it's, I call it modern privateers. Back in the day, if you wanted to attack uh, a rival maritime power, you would just do pirate attacks, right? So, oh, if pirates attack a Spanish ship, all you can do is arrest those individual pirates. It doesn't go back to the British, let's say. But what if the British secretly is paying people to attack the Spanish, but they're like, if you get caught, then you're a pirate. But they're not really pirates because they're not doing it on their own volition. They have secret salaries and work for a state, state support and the rest of it. A lot of terrorist organizations have covert state sponsorship. They help them with logistics. They help them with finance. They help recruiting. The whole thing's fostered secretly by a state because they're like, well, we'll just build them up to smash the others and then double cross them. Enemy, my enemies, my enemy friend, and that kind of death. And it never works. It always blows back in their face. How did you find out all of this information? Like, why? why was well, I was so, alive through the 80s and 90s and 2000s. But why was it so easy to change the narrative? How did they convince an entire population of people of a, a lie that if you actually look at the documents, is pretty obviously a lie? Because, okay, I, I only half answered something earlier when you asked about the 9-11 Commission Report. Right. Okay, the 9-11 Commission Report is kind of a farce, but it's not the... It's not really the big part of the investigation. The main thing, so the JIS report, the joint inquiry that the Senate did that really dug into the history of all these hijackers and relationships they had with state actors and things. For example, like they knew Nawaf al-Hazmi and Khalid al-Midhar, who were on Flight 77, had lived with a Saudi get agent. Uh, his name was Omar Bayoumi and another guy named Osama Basnan and their wives moving money around for... 9-11 hijackers bought them an apartment like it's unbelievable the amount of information they had the cia had followed these guys to a al-qaeda summit meeting in malaysia where they met ksm remember he's the uncle of yusuf that attacked in 93 knew they met after al-qaeda spent the night there with the main al-qaeda operative like a king in the deck of cards right one thing is more famous would be osama bin laden maybe and knew they had come to live in California. The Saudis are helping them this through uh, Bandar Bush, they call him, which was the director of like Saudi Arabia's CIA until September 10th. <laughs> and, uh, it was uh, Prince Haifa of Bin Fasil moved money through um, Nawid Darket. And this doesn't matter. It's too much details. Basically, they give money to hijackers. Okay, you know that there, you know there's a previous plot from Yousef and KSM to use airplanes to attack the United States. These guys are going to flight schools and they're not learning how to land. <laughs> you know, like, and you can't figure out they're going to use airplanes to attack and you can't figure out it's World Trade Center when that's the only thing they attacked last time. Come on, right? Now they also ended up hitting the Pentagon. But whatever, you should have known WTC was a target and that they're using planes when they're going to flight schools. Like, even if you didn't know the prior plan or the prior data, they're going to flight schools and they're meeting with Al-Qaeda. Something's going to go on with airplanes, right? They could barely speak English. And the Saudi state is helping them. So it was a Kurdish mosque, which was a um, front, like a, it's a mosque, but it's like a, a Saudi mosque intelligence gathering. Al-Awlaki was there and they, they would kind of meet and recruit and try and find the most militant Muslims they could to, to join, right? They get them all mad and riled up, and they would profile them and think who would be who would might actually get on a plane, right? 
So they got 20 of them uh, willing to suicide themselves. But when you look at those cells, what it appeared to be is they got divided up into five, 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 and five, but one was missing, right? So it ends up being 19 instead of 20. But each one of those seemed to have a mole inside. For example, uh, Flight 77 crew that I was just mentioning, the alleged pilot for that was supposed to be a man named um, Zaid Aljara. Very interesting character because of all the black box, this is the one that um, went down in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. We have the black box, which well, everything's recorded on airplanes. Like it's not, it was a orange, but they call it black box. So that was the only plane that... They, they found the black box in the Pentagon too, but it was really damaged. They said they couldn't get the data off of it um, because of the fire, because it was in a building. But the one in Shanksville, they retrieved. The ones in New York, I mean, you had so much debris and you know, three buildings falling down and half so, a building six. So they never found those. What did it say in the Pennsylvania one? So on that, we had, and we have the transcript from this from the Masawi trial. So you can, some people got to hear it, you know, in the court and everything, but we have everything written out. Now, here's the thing. If anybody knows the name of the person piloting the plane, it would be the other hijackers. Right. Obviously. Right. Mm -hmm. Every phone call, this is, I'm going to put all this evidence together. All the phone calls mention three guys. You think, okay, maybe there's three, like, guarding the cockpit and one of them in there flying or something. Possible. As you can paying devil's advocate. But they're all mentioned, no, there's three guys, and they said they had knives, not just box cutters, like real legit knives. They actually found this in the debris, too. You can find big knives. We actually know where they bought them at Walmart and stuff. Like, it's all traced back through cameras and stuff. Mm. Is how autistic I got. But, um, you looked at all the footage. I dug through. I was like, well, let's look at around where they were that night, night before, night before that, night before that, and see where they got. And maybe they bought a knife or something, and they did. They got, they got the weapons like right before they went and did it. Like, um, everything is on camera, you know, all these big major department stores and stuff. Anyway, I mean, I looked through the debris list, 93, once it got listed, and, and because the whole story online was, or on um, TV was box cutters, like little tiny. That's what I heard. Yeah, yeah. And that was the narrative in the beginning, but then later they slowly admit, no, nah, they had like knives and, and even mace and other weapons, but it didn't get the attention of the initial oh, box cutters. That was so easy to slide in. That's why we need these super duper mega detectors that see through your clothing and da 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 da, da. It was this bullshit. It was knives. Um, they got that in through the um, landing crew, like the the people that put the luggage underneath the plane and stuff. They had um, operatives there that would just bring it. Same way they bring in drugs, you pay off a um, flight attendant and bring it in, leave it in a certain place. Because there's a bunch of ways to get weapons on a plane, but whatever. The guys on that transcript, there's only three mentioned from all the air phone calls, and. There is no mention of Ziad Aljara on this plane. Who's that? That's the guy that's supposed to be the pilot. The guy, the hijacker they said was the best train and one that was flying. Well, the other hijackers don't call out his name. They call out another name, Al Gamdi, which is not Ziad Aljara. They could have had nicknames or something? So Al Gamdi's the guy flying the plane. That means the others that were remaining, the ones like guarding him and hijacking him. It, you realize like most hijacked planes at this point would land somewhere and negotiate and try and get something so but once the passengers on that plane learned what had happened to the other planes 
they decided to like charge and take it out, right? Um, there was also a judoka that happened to be on that plane, was that? A, like a professional judo player. So that on a plane, it's pretty nice when I have it. They made fun of that, like, oh, oh let's roll fake phone calls. Da, da, da. They they ought to be honored for what they did, and the whole thing has just been poo pooed on by the nine eleven coop movement. But they are saying up, up, down, down. They're, it, the witnesses said the plane was flying upside down and then it was went straight in the ground from the nose like didn't even att- people will compare that crash to other plane crashes but other plane crashes they're not trying to crash the plane they're trying to put the landing gear down land at an angle and try to not die well if you just go full speed in the ground because you're suiciding on purpose you're that's going to look very different than someone trying with a real pilot that at least puts the wheels down and tries to land at a clear place and the so they just spiked it in the ground. So you have to compare that wreckage more or less to like when they lost in the fog and just hit a mountain or something because they didn't even try to land that plane. People will point to, oh, that doesn't look like a plane crash. I'm like, because it's not a normal plane crash. Like they they suicided it as fast as they could. Why do you think nobody on the plane stopped them? Well, they took them down. But the, what they started doing when the passengers were coming up is they tried to turn the plane around and barrel and try to get, get them to go. And they decided, well, we'll at least kill the Americans on the plane. We're not going to reach our target. Um, but the important part is when they're saying, when they're all saying, you know, praise Allah at the end, Allah Akbar, da da da. Yad Al Jara's voice is not on there. His name is not on there. And Al Gamdi is the one that's actually flying the plane. And it doesn't. They don't have like either Al Jara just sat there and never said anything, not even praise God. Like there's not a fourth voice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Unlikely, right? So, uh, here's the thing: Zaid Al Jara, Zaid Al Jara's. They found his passport, so that's a little bit of evidence that could have been put there, though. We find out later he has two cousins, Yusuf Al Jara and Ali Al Jara, and guess where they were? They were working for a particular intelligence agency spying on Hezbollah. They worked the Israelis. What a coincidence. A 9-11 pilot hijacker has two first cousins that work for Israeli intelligence. And they and they busted them red-handed, went through and found their computers. Like, they definitely were agents of Israel. And th- it was in USA Today and some papers and some like, isn't this a big deal that a 9-11 hijacker had any family in any intelligence agency at all? They didn't make it a big deal. Right? No. Yeah, you're, you're making me realize how much they hid all this information and how well they kept it a secret. And that what I just said, like, it's not in any 9-11 films. They're just, no. uh, building seven, blah, blah, Like, I can talk about building seven, but I'm like, I don't, I don't need, it's been done. Like, I think you know, it fell too fast, whatever. So what? Like, you want to know who is assisting these people and why was there 9-11 and how do they erroneously attach it to a rock and so on. And they did. They fucking lied about anthrax. Rock did not have anthrax. Al-Qaeda did not have anthrax. And the, the meeting, the intelligence, they said, oh, the Czech intelligence and Israeli security forces witnessed this transfer at Prague in Czech Republic of senior Iraqi officials giving anthrax to Al-Qaeda. And PNAC had preempted this stuff. They've been writing, like, hinting at it, but they waited till the anthrax was open. And they're like, oh, yeah, guess what else? And there was no meeting in Prague. Neither party had anthrax. So how did the Israelis witness a transfer of something that neither party had at a meeting that didn't take place, right? 
but it just it doesn't matter like even now like you can't get that information out and where the anthrax actually came from is also an interesting story it's again out of fort dietrich where it was stolen the first time right and uh i mean it's pretty obvious the bioweapons labs where they do it the other was dugway where it had some accelerant added to it uh to make it more deadly they tried to kill patrick Leahy. And they tried to kill Dashiell. They sent in anthrax to senators, real anthrax, to kill them. Leahy, what did he do? Everyone saw oh, this the Patriot Act, because he was against that. Mm. It was the Leahy Amendment. What does that do? If it passed, it would forbid military aid to Israel. Oh. They tried to murder him. And guess who gets hoax anthrax? Judith Miller. Same bitch in the New York Times. That's lying about Iraq constantly, da, 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 and ousted plane and all that same woman. She did go to jail for 85 days. That was it. Um, but she had a romantic relationship with Leibowitz and the Aspen's Institute and all these disgusting people. But okay, so this is a big deal. The anthrax, the fake anthrax that was sent to Miller and the real anthrax that was sent to Dashiell had identical notes. But because all the planes were grounded after 9-11 and 9-12, the mail was also grounded. So it didn't arrive when they anticipated it. And things got all like added together and opened at different times. So they would say, oh, it's a copycat attack. You know, but it couldn't because the news about what was on the note and all had not happened because it hadn't been opened. We didn't know what it was. So whoever sent real anthrax to Dashiell, or a Brokaw, I think it was too. There, I'd have to look at my own timeline now. <laughs> whoever sent real anthrax is also who sent the hoax anthrax to Miller because there's no way they would have known what to put since there's identical notes, you see. And so like, even though Miller's is sent two days later, that one hadn't been opened. So you can't claim that they are copying it because there was no news about it yet. And, you know, Stevens dies October 5th. First person died from anthrax in the United States since the 70s. Few people, a handful of people were, were, did die from this attack. And Cipro was passed around the government's anti-anthrax agent. And it was very good for biotech. Everybody got a little piece of the pie and everything. But the main reason was it got attached to Iraq. And Cola Powell... Uh, Secretary of State at the time goes to the United Nations with this little mock vile anthrax and says this big speech about Iraq and some weapons lab is like one little vial of this killed X number of people blah 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 anthrax is used to create bombs anthrax is a spore it's a biological weapon it's like a, not a chemical weapon it's a biological weapon out of spores and it'll it'll wipe you out and you wipe can you target out. people with that it's poisonous or is a bomb it's no it's like you could put it into the wind and everybody would get anthrax and die like or in a building or whatever. Um, or you could kill like livestock and- Is that true? They didn't have anthrax. I mean, yeah, you could do that with anthrax, but like that, it didn't, it wasn't really there. There wasn't, Al-Qaeda didn't have any, Iraq didn't have any. Um, we had it and that's, that's where it came from. And you could mail it to senators. So like what would happen? You could open a letter, the spores go oh, up in the air, man. you're dead. You know, whoever opens that letter, they're gone. Um, but you know, God damn, there's identical notes. Why would Al-Qaeda send real anthrax to these people and fake anthrax to the bitch that's lying about Iraq? And guess what's written on the notes? Death to America, 
death to Israel. <laughs> Gee, I wonder who really sent the anthrax. <laughs> you look at every fucking lie. Colin Powell's here because the okay, the legal legally the pretext to invade Iraq was WMDs saying they're in violation of UN Resolution 1441 stipulating they can't have weapons of mass destruction after the first Gulf War. They're not allowed to have these things. They they did, but they'd all been, you know, our weapons inspectors had gone in there like Scott Ritter and made sure all this had been disposed of. And Rock's like, we don't want to even have these because America, you know, give it, it'll give them a pretext, right? So they got rid of them. They really did get rid of their weapons. So he's up there moving around anthrax that they didn't have and convinces enough of the UN to go along with this shit. Uh, it was opposed by Russia and France. Jacques Chirac, uh, the UN ambassador for France, he my uh college roommate's dad taught him english <laughs> but he was red-pilled and like we're not doing this they got so mad at the french this is so stupid they're like one that renamed french fries the freedom fries i heard about that it's so stupid and it was walter jones jr he did turn himself around became an anti-war and really good guy but they were also they were all so angry after 9-11 like we gotta bomb the fuck out of somebody it's like we got our two front teeth knocked out when the world trade centers came down right right and they just were like we're going to Afghanistan. Like, why are we going to Afghanistan? We're going to wipe out the Taliban. Why are you fighting the Taliban? That's it's not Al Qaeda. They're like all oh, a bunch of towelheads or whatever. Just brown. General yeah, brown it's, it's so stupid. They wanted to get the heroin and the opium because that is how that opium trade, sixty-four billion dollar a year trade, is that off the books uh, budget for black ops everywhere else. So if you want to finance Al-Qaeda, ISIS, Al-Shabaab, MEK, or Baluchistani terrorists, whatever, Afghanistan is what you need. You're not going back to Vietnam for the heroin. Because that's a political suicide. So <laughs> I went to Afghanistan. And John McCain got up on the Letterman show and said, and, and fucking idiots, like the second phase is Iraq. I mean, what was the first phase? It was Afghanistan. And then he said, it was October 15th. So we got some information that, you know, some of this anthrax may, and I stress may, have come from Iraq. He knew goddamn well Iraq didn't have anthrax. It was a lie. Yeah, he lied. John McCain never told the truth his whole life. If he said the sky is blue, I'd run out and check to see if it didn't change. It wasn't really a prisoner of war? Oh, he was a POW, sort of, but his daddy was an admiral and he had a little special treatment. But he does seem like he got tortured in a pit because that guy lost his mind, man. Like, so what do you think about people that buy the actual narrative and when do you think that it's going to become widely accepted? Because I, I don't know if this is exactly true, but I've seen talks that JFK was actually killed by the U.S. government and they just admitted it. And then it seems like everybody has moved on and didn't really care. They definitely it's, did not admit it. Um and we can talk JFK in a second, but so I, the reason I think people believe it is because basic nationalism, rah rah, USA, whatever. Let's go beat the fuck out of these Muslim. Da, 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 da. We need an enemy. But Americans need something. They to need. Fight they needed something to replace the evil Soviet Union commies, right? Mm -hmm. They need a witch to burn. They need to focus all that hate on something. It was the but, Russians, then it was the Muslims. Right. It was the whole Soviet Union, but mainly Russia, you know, obviously. And they, they're back on that now, right? So, but with the war on terror, it's like it's unending because it's a war on a tactic. Like your war on terror. Like a war on being bad or something. Like yeah. you can't, like terrorism is a result of occupation. Right. Every instance of suicide bombing, Vietnam, Kamikaze, Palestine, whatever, is because of military pressure and occupation, right? The, no one just says, hey, I'm going to go blow myself up today. Like, out of the, they're not just crazy. Like, they're reacting 
to something, obviously. Um, usually us. Usually, Americans. usually United States, Israel, Saudi Arabia, or Britain. Like that's usually how it goes. But what happened was the nine, like Alex Jones and all these shitheads, Richard Gage and stuff. They came out with this really ridiculous fucking narrative about 9-11 which got dumber and dumber over time like first it was just a bomb on every floor and like and then it was this like then it was like mini nukes and then it was like do weapons and so just it got actually more was, and more dumb it was a story it was just coordinated by israel the planes did hit the planes the planes hit okay so the planes hit it probably truck bombs we have evidence and the fire prevention systems were sabotaged i can say all that and someone like so you think fire took the building down by itself i'm like what did i just fucking say planes truck bomb sabotaging the fire prevention system that's what we have evidence for no controlled demolition we don't have evidence for that. What do you but, think? But I think you don't need a bomb on every floor. All you have to do is take out the relay pump systems. There are three. And the sprinkler systems don't come on. And fire will do it for you. And that seems to be what happened. People get real pissed at that. However, what seems to have happened is as the planes hit above, they lit it off below. Like when it goes kaboom, like hit it. And there must have been some van or truck in the basement level that went off simultaneous um but one didn't because a lot of firemen and stuff a lot of witnesses so they heard, heard a third explosion yeah right um some of that could have been the cars in the parking lot blowing up so there's there's like you don't need to get in the weeds in that it's like well why do you have to have a bomb on every floor you already have truck bombs you already have fire we had a team led by a man from Jerusalem, Khalid Odala, that illegally did work on the fire prevention systems in the World Trade Center. They got arrested in Tennessee with a pass on their person, Sakura Hamad, dated September 5th of the World Trade Center where they're not supposed to be doing work. It went to a front com uh, fake company, Denko Mechanical, Sergey Denko and Dave Connell, something. It was just some residential address of a person in New York. And wasn't even real business. They had defrauded fire suppression credentials, like letters. They just made them up and created this bullshit company. And then somebody hired them to do work in the World Trade Center. But the Port Authority that runs those properties, like, we didn't hire them. And we're all that supposed to go through us. It must have been a tenant. Okay, who's the tenant? Who moved out of the World Trade Centers just before 9-11? Huh. Zim Shipping Company. What state you want to guess Zim is out of? Can I ring it? Yeah, do it. <laughs> Thank you. The Israeli state, right? They moved to Norfolk, Virginia. They broke like a, something like $500,000 lease, something big, big ass money. And like, oh yeah, we're getting out of these towers. But if they are high, who's, that gives you an excuse to have moving companies going in and out of the tower, bringing in boxes or whatever they want, right? So you have a way. But I don't think they're planting bombs everywhere because people are in them buildings all day. Like, you can't be like, what are you doing? I'm putting C4 right here. Just leave it. You know, like, it was more or less, you don't have to bomb it. All you have to do is break the sprinkler system. Fire, ladies and gentlemen, can and does take down steel buildings. Like, you can't reach it and the sprinkler system doesn't come on and it burns enough. You don't have to get to the melting point of steel because steel loses 80% of its tensile strength way before its melting point. And we've had to demonstrate this for these idiots where you can eat it up oh, you so know, jet fuel and with one pinky, move it around, right? Yeah. 
it's not jet fuel by itself. It's kind of like, okay, you can't light a log on fire with a match. But if you put some paper and cardboard and stuff and light that on fire, then that'll light that on fire. And that, you know, you're not going to burn aluminum with a lighter. But if I pack a bunch of stuff around it and burn, like, a, I don't know, a building, that'll do it. <laughs> like, yeah, it'll melt it. I've melted aluminum chairs in a bonfire on the beach, right? You put a beer can in there and completely melt it, right? But not not just from like lighter fluid you have to have wood and some other things there was a building on fire indoor fires exceed outdoor fires separate forest fires is a different situation but like i hate getting into like science on people and saying look man you don't it doesn't have to melt steel beams the steel beams were not melted you're looking at photographs of of after 9-11 when the fire department went up there and cut them on purpose so that they could load them trucks and move them to the uh junkyard and that was with torches and stuff they didn't they didn't just melt at 45 degrees you couldn't do that with anything anyway thermite's not going to do that shape charges would have blown it to pieces like and why do you need to cut it all smoothly like if you just want to take it down just put them anywhere you know <laughs> it doesn't have to be controlled but you have to at least make it look like fire did it, right? If you're going to blame the whole thing on a plane. So an easier thing to do is blow out the, the basement level and allow fire to take down the building by sabotaging the fire prevention systems. And that'll do it. Building 7 even, they're like, oh, there's only pockets of fire. This, this whole part, this is the only part of the interview anybody's going to react to is, is this. And I hate getting into this. But the pockets of fire thing from Alex Jones is showing the north side of the building at like 9 in the morning. Not showing the south side of the building at five in the afternoon. The whole thing was on fire from the bottom to the top. It was missing a corner. Had another building fall on top of it. So like, yeah, it wasn't hit by a plane, but it was hit by another building. You know, it's not a normal thing. And you can't, it's just such a dumb argument to rest. Like, I agree. Yeah, probably had truck bombs, you know, probably because the other two did. So there were explosives and that is why it fell too fast. But that's just such a shit argument. It's like... It doesn't matter. It, like if someone burned your house down, are you going to want to know who burned your house down? Or are you going to go, you know, I wonder if they use gasoline or kerosene. Doesn't make a difference. <laughs> like, all right, they use something. Who cares if it was what kind of bomb it was or whatever. Like it's who did it and why they did it and how do they get in the country and get away with it and who, you know, why we have Saudi and Israeli people celebrating this shit and and there's a follow-up attack of anthrax, which definitely comes from the Israelis, and they're lying about it and associating it to Iraq. Like, even if you thought Al-Qaeda did 9-11 all by themselves, no help at all, ignore all the other stuff, they still attached it to Iraq erroneously. And we invaded Iraq, killed about a million people. One of the alarming things is that people don't really seem to care. I mean, I remember hearing that narrative every single day on the radio, weapons of mass destruction, seeing that on yeah. TV, the war on terror, war on terror, weapons right. of mass destruction. And then it's proven that that's all a lie, but nobody really cares. We just kind of accept it and then continue to get lied to and then believe in the next PSYOP in the next year. They're like, oh, they found them, but they just can't tell us or something. Well, they, like, they, they did not find sense. them. They didn't have them. So yeah, like, why do you think that the general population doesn't really care that we get continuously lied to? Like because, well, when this eventually comes out, because you're right, when it eventually comes out, the truth of, about 9-11 Nobody, I, I don't think anyone's going to actually. Or Syria or Libya or the Nord Stream bombing or Ukraine. Like what happens is, or Iran-Contra, like that was a conspiracy. And they had a, like, 
what happens is they're on they have goldfish brains and they're on the next thing right you're lied about a rock and like uh, instead of like hey let's stop here settle they fucking lied to us let's admit this what should happen these this guy this guy this guy should all be in prison. To worry about. they come to the next thing to scare the shit out of them with right like well you know they make excuses they change the rationale like well you know saddam is a bad guy anyway and um, we're protecting the kurds or like the yazidi or they like, justified the like I bet you money you didn't know what a Kurd was until they just told you two days ago, right? Like, mm -hmm. you're told to care about this certain faction in Iraq or Syria or whatever that you just learned about. And you're like, well, we got to protect the uh, the Yazidi in Syria. And like, it, that's not even in your own words, right? They're given one rationale after another. And there was never really a clear point where the, they kept looking for the weapons. Like, they're there. We'll find them. And they didn't, you know. But over time like well we're going to check and decree we're going to check this i think catching saddam and having that trial and stuff sort of oh look it's saddam saddam's a bad guy he's look at the occupation saddam's dead enders keep killing americans i'm like that's because you're over there killing them they hired mercenary firms like blackwater that shot 72 people at a protest so then they got four blackwater guys got strung up on a bridge in fallujah so they go back and carpet bomb fallujah it's just, I'm ashamed, man. I'm ashamed of our government. I'm ashamed of our media. And I'm ashamed of all these fucking suckers that were like, just whatever Bill O'Reilly, Sean Hannity, Screaming Heads, whatever, Wolf Blitzer, who's an APAC employee, who's as a situation room on CNN. He's total Israeli. Just bullshitting you every day. And I'm like, how many times do you have to get lied to where you say, I don't, I don't believe you? Right? It's not just a rock, but that was a big one. That's a six trillion dollar price tag and hundreds of thousands, probably over a million, dead over fucking nothing. That was a big one. And then you got hundreds of thousands in Afghanistan and Libya. They took a functional North African country and turned it into a just Chill. a shithole, exactly. Like it, it looks like liberals have been there for years. That's how bad it looks. Looks like Portland. Yeah, kind of. More people died in Chicago than Afghanistan with the Taliban. Joe Biden's talking about gun control and he left billions of dollars worth of guns and equipment for the Taliban. But I swear I'd rather have the Taliban rule than some of these shit live woke liberal assholes. I'm like, well, at least they're not chemically castrating little boys. I mean, at least they got a line there. I mean, the common argument from the people that want to trust the government is that. They can't all be involved. They don't all know this. All the politicians that advocated for the Iraq war, they didn't know about the weapons of mass destruction. Did they all know? Were they all part of this lie? Or was it just a certain... They didn't want to know. So like, they're like, lie to me, right? So some of them, like Walter Jones, for example, he just naively thought, well, they must have some evidence of WMDs because Colin Powell had a pretty good reputation. He's saying they're there. So, all right. So who's, some, who's to blame? But some of them didn't like. But the new these guys, they the knew goddamn well there was no anthrax because they're the one that made up the lie, right. right? And the CIA knew there was no yellow cake uranium from Niger. You can't say it's a mistake. But people like Michael Ledeen and Gorbachev was both of them involved in the Contra affair and Elliot Abrams, right? They're lying about this shit. And I was like, okay, how can you have an obsolete military seal? Uh, a foreign minister wasn't even there. He's allegedly signing off on this stuff. You're like, y'all made that up. So they knew it was a lie. The people in PNAC knew it was a lie. Newland 
knew it was a lie. Kagan knew it was a lie. Crystal knew it was a lie. Pearl knew it was a lie. Wolfowitz knew it was a lie. Douglas Fife knew it was a lie. Leibowitz knew it was a lie. William Sapphire that wrote about chemical weapons under the palace of Saddam, Sapphire, he knew it was a lie. Like, they knew that wasn't true. Some of the people in Congress and stuff that we elected, because the DOD, we don't elect any of them. It's all giant bureaucratic unelected portion of government that just appointees and shit. Some of the Congress people didn't care whether it was a lie or not, like John McCain. They just want to bomb somebody. But he's a Zionist. His dad helped cover up the USS Liberty, where they killed 34 American sailors. But a lot of them just are dumb. You know, like, oh, you know, they, they really believe whatever's on TV, whatever. So it's both. There's a mixture of people who goddamn well it was bullshit. And you had some people just naively rah-rah USA and they don't want to hear it. You know, just, I just trust George Bush. He looks so strong standing over the breeze saying, all the terrorists will hear us now. Yeah, America, just stroke that fucking rocket. You know, I call them jack-off missile Johnnies. Turn it to a glass parking lot. Dumb shit like that was being said. Because if you nuke sand, you know, it turns into glass. It doesn't, but like that's the same. Like, oh, let's make a glass parking lot. Like rah rah. Oh, um, we're so big and mighty. Like they call the first bombing campaign of Iraq shock and awe because they're trying to imagine that these Iraqis are gonna be scared and be like shocking and awestruck. Like, <laughs> fuck you, dude. It's a war. I dare you to get near it. You know, you don't know how horrible that is. They're gonna. They're under those missiles. You are a piece of dog shit. Talking about it like that, like it's a goddamn circular. Look, we feel so mighty. And it's kind of like, at a lesser degree, like Antifa and feminists and stuff, all these fucking decrepit, ugly people are resentful of anybody with any kind of talent, virtue, beauty, strength, whatever. They hate it, right? So all these people, they wanted to destroy Iraq. They wanted to go sleep in decrete. They wanted to decapitate Saddam Hussein, cut off the Arab nutsack, right? They wanted to lord over him. And they took a strong country that Israel was afraid of and castrated it because they had the U.S. military. It wasn't just the U.S. They had the British and they had some Polish and others that came in, blew the shit out of Iraq. And they had no chance. They didn't have the air defense to deal with the American Air Force. And But you notice our little unsinkable aircraft carrier, Israel, they didn't get involved. You know what they were involved in? The prison system afterward, you see the little Star David tattoos and stuff, Abu Ghraib, they're torturing Iraqi men. Now that they have no weapons, they're helpless, they're naked, and that, then they go in there and put bags in their head and beat them and stuff and humiliate them in front of their children, sodomize their kids. Like, you don't even know this shit that happened to Abu Ghraib. Then they're there. As soon as they can even hold a rock in their hand, they're running away. Fucking pussies. I mean, but, but if they're all from this one state of Israel and they believe in God and they're, they're part of the, they believe in the Jewish faith. Which God? Tell me, <laughs> tell me, I mean, how could they, how could they, do, how could they kill 3,000 Americans? How could they kill a million people in Iraq? Yeah, well, like. Where's the morality? They, the people in Israel, not everybody, but like they, their media is worse than ours. I mean, it just, well, not mine. I live here, but like, it's bad. And they're brainwashed and stuff. And they can legitimately point to Hamas shooting rockets or whatever. And because, but that's like, yeah, but that's because you put a blockade on Gaza. They, they always start the story in the middle. Whatever's convenient for their side, right? 
They shouldn't even be there. It's a bunch of Europeans that colonized Palestine in the 40s and 30s. Uh, but what they'll do is they've turned God is not like the historic theology of Judaism. That's gone. After the Holocaust, the real Judaism for Zionists is God's real estate agent. And he promises this land. Because 3,000 years ago in this book with the talking donkey and stuff, they said, this is the land of Israelites, whatever. Never mind the fact that if you're even, even if you accept all that theological stuff, it's also the land of the Canaanites and Philistines, which is Palestinians. They had continuity there too. So you both lived on that land. They want to exclusively come back and basically kick them out and say, this is Jewish land and Jewish state. And what by they mean by Jewish is not a theology. They mean race. So that kind of racial nationalism was destroyed in World War II with Nazis and others, except for one group, Zionists. But the only people that really categorize Jews as a race are Nazis and Zionists. To everyone else, it was a religion. Like Christianity is not a race. It's a belief. Right. right? Judaism is a belief. Islam is a belief. It's not like there are a lot of Arab Muslims, but anybody could be Muslim. And you could be Arab and not be Muslim, and you could be Hebrew and not be Jewish. But, but it, it's got conflated, so you can't even pin down the definition because they're like, well, what's a Jew? Like, well, is it a belief in Judaism? Well, we have atheist Jews. I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense. I could be an atheist Jew. You can't be an atheist Catholic. Right. You can't be an atheist Muslim, but you can be an atheist Jew, which means religion is not the identity. It's an it's a identity passed on by descent. We're like, well, my mom was Jewish. I'm like, well, that doesn't make you Jewish unless you believe in Judaism. Me, it's a religion. Very clear, easy. Believe in Judaism, believe in Moses and all that. Yeah, then you're Jewish. You don't, then you're not. But no, no, no. The way Zionists defined it is by biological category, not theological category. They're the OG identity politics. (laughs) Like before all this men pretending to be women and all this other nonsense, it was like, it's it's a race when it's convenient to be a race. It's religion when it's more convenient to be a religion. It's like whatever's... It's based on pragmatism, whatever is uh, more beneficial at the time, then that's what their identity goes to that. So it's become based Holocaustianity, people say. It's like in this modern age of victimhood culture where being, you know, I was oppressed by this or that, colonization, slavery, all these horrible things, you get points for it. South Park, like, I'm 13% victim. It's like, you weren't there, you weren't alive, but they want to be related to people who suffered in the Holocaust because that that's like gives them it's part of the oppression Olympics, right? They get social credit or whatever for like, well, I'm Jewish. They're supposed to venerate that. Like, Oh yeah, I heard that story. Like what race hasn't gone through some pitiful suffering, right? Like the Irish Africans, like you pick some, everybody's had something terrible, but they're like, Oh, like, other people were also in the Holocaust who weren't Jewish, you know, and millions of Germans got murdered and Dresden got firebombed and all the starvation in China and the gulags of the Soviet Union, the communist, the millions and millions of people died. But we're very specially take out of the prisoners in labor camps in Germany. And I don't want to get too into that because that can't even say I'm rumble. But like the Palestinians had nothing to do with Treblinka and Auschwitz, way nothing at all, but they're paying a price as your sky daddy version of your your like twisted version of Judaism is where God's a real estate agent that divvies out land based on DNA. 
where for centuries they'd all lived on the land together. And suddenly they want to make Jewish exclusion. So it's just become bullshit religious pretext for economic gains. Thank you. It was a great way to, to what, do you, what do you say before you wrap this up to the people who still doubt what you're talking about? I have a five-hour documentary just on the 9-11 part of 9-11 that goes and shows you screenshots of the documents and names and stuff I probably don't even remember because it's been a while. But like, when you, it's not like a smoking gun of like, oh, well, this or that. It's when you put it all together, it's just overwhelming. He makes a picture and you can see they're doing it again. They did it in Syria. I was so mad. I'm like, they're doing it again. Lion, Assad is not casting his own people. All the shit they said about Gaddafi, too. And look, they're lying about Ukraine. And I don't know what's going to wake it up, but I will say, as black-pilled as it looks, like we're on the offense now. If you contrast the media between the first Gulf War and the second Gulf War, the second Gulf War is as unpopular as Vietnam. Vietnam was unpopular because of the draft. It's like, oh, I have to go, right? That's why they start protesting. If it hadn't been like that, I don't think that would have happened. But everyone in the first Gulf War was well, and they had these yellow ribbons. That was a thing, like support our troops and put a magnet on your car and all this. They kind of tried to do that in the second one. But the second one fell apart, and it fell apart because of the internet. Even though all the news and stuff was there, there was finally like this other thing where someone like me could write something or Justin Raimondo could get on or antiwar.com and putting out the truth, right? Scott Horton, people like this, they're nailing it. And once you see it, you can't unsee it, right? Once you know, you're like, whoa, this is like a cabal from a foreign nation came in here and diverted us into a war with their enemies, right? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. So what I saw is, okay, Gulf War One, everyone's on board. Gulf War Two, they start on board and they're like, hey, I got duped or they were never on board by the time syria came they're calling dc and saying no we're not having another iraq situation we could not get boots on the ground in syria so they had to use isis still sucks but better than just boom right then by libya obama kind of got away because that was more the europeans did it but the american public was like uh-uh they don't like that they didn't like like it's not like you're pro Saddam, pro Gaddafi, or pro assad but I say, hey, man, what you replace it with was far worse, right? This is not a solution. Don't give me this false paradigm, like, where I have to choose this or that. By the time Ukraine comes along with the ghost of Kiev and all this bullshit, the majority of people, especially your age, internet savvy people, they're like, I don't believe you. I don't believe it at all. They're losing their ability to, to manipulate lie. us into lies because of the internet. It, it, it dipped. It was like, there was like MySpace and stuff. They shut all that down, right? And then early YouTube, before Google got it, came out and trashed the second Iraq war. Got that out. Can't get the genie back in the bottle. Then Google comes, starts censoring everybody on YouTube. You know, Now we know the FBI was in Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. Now, a little bit, Elon's back. And he's like, well, can we get rid of the pedophiles from Twitter? Can we, do, can we just admit the Twitter file? So it seems like he is, he brought you back. He brought me back. Not everyone's back, though. There's still people... There West Hall, some others that ought to be back and aren't. But I think they just, it's overwhelming how, how many people got banned. They can't even like find them all, right? Mm -hmm. So 
as you break the monopoly on the media, it all falls apart. Because all of this poison, the war, the torture, the starvation, the, all the just sicking satanic shit that happens to people, starts with a lie. You can't lie. If you erase the lie, all the evil that comes after it disappears. That's why they call Satan the father of lies. Deception. All wars by deception. And if you can stop them from deceiving the public, they can't get a war. They can't get a bailout. They can't get a sanction. They can't get a new virus. They can't get any of this shit. And they're scared. We haven't had another 9-11 because that got so much doubt. And like my narrative did get out there. There's definitely lots, millions of people have heard what I've had to say. It's not enough. But the American media is so bad. But like in Asia and other places, they're like, oh, yeah, they just tell you straight up. I'm like, well, how do you know that? Because, you know, their media is not run by a cabal. Uh, and the foreign press will talk about Palestine. Like, yeah, they're, everyone knows. Like, but it's like just the U.S., Canada, and a few other states that believes that the Israeli bullshit, right? But it is impossible to defend what they're doing to Palestinians. And so I'm seeing this shift where they don't know what to do. That's why they're frantically censoring everybody. And I think this is what happened to the Tates brothers is these guys were like the most Googled, pretty close, the most Googled people ever, uh, you know, that year or whatever. And they had all this influence from whatever they're doing, doesn't matter. Key thing is, they were well-known enough to sway an election in the UK, let's say. Mm -hmm. They could say, why do we have all these stabbings in London? Da -da -da. There was a microphone and a big audience, huge audience for both of these guys. And they started talking real politics. And they tried to race them. Blanket ban. No more YouTube, no more TikTok, no more this, da 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 but so many of their followers had clipped and recorded things. They just started uploading them faster than they could get rid of them, right? So what's option B? You can't shut them up, lock them up. They trump up some charges, throw them in jail. Well, not even charges, accusations. There are no charges still. Throw them in jail. Maybe they'll be forgotten. They're going to get out at that 108-day marker. and going to be bigger than ever. Well, this whole thing is going to blow up in their face. Um... But you can't have just rest on a guy like Andrew or, you know, or like a WikiLeaks, like Julian Assange or something. You got to have a lot of people saying stuff. Too many to shut down. That's what we need. I think it's the start of that. Or we get this information. Oh, I've got the information. But I, I've been blanket banned too. But slowly starting to come up again. Got Twitter back from Elon. I have the alternatives like Rumble and Substack and stuff. And then networking, what we need. The right people find the message and we spread it. And these haters, like everyone's gonna focus on, like, you see a jet fuel movie, but just fuck off with these kooks, man. Like, please listen to all the other things I said. Fuck off with your building science, whatever. Like, fine, believe it, I don't care. Like, listen to what I said about Iraq, listen to what I said about the people celebrating and so on. And I, that goes way deeper in the dance of the Israelis. We barely touched that. I can't believe it. Like, no. That's another thing. But I feel like I've said that a lot in other interviews. So, you have, yeah. yeah so. I've heard Myron talk about it nonstop since. Yeah, I talked to him on Telegram for a while. Like, um, I have a movie. I got two movies about it. One of them's free, and one of them I sell. 
more about exceptions free you can go watch it's like three hours long five hour one is a beast but i'm like because people are like source source i'm like all right bitch I'm like here's your sources uh, it's gonna be a long movie but it's what happened to new there's like nine minutes of nothing but sources at the end of that film right like uh, yeah i couldn't make that up if i tried too complicated where can people find you well, I thought I was wearing an ANC report. It's anti neocon. ANCreport.com. Uh, my Twitter handle is still there. Rye Liberty, all one word, R Y Liberty. And I have a Substack, Ryan Dawson on Substack. Thanks a lot. We're Thank back you. For, the, for the Epstein breakdown. And I got right. some maps. We should uh, enjoy Japan now. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks cool. for having the balls to put on the most band man. Well, I disavow everything you said. Yeah, it was all a dream. The whole thing was in Minecraft. <laughs>